Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Okay. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Hi, uh, my name is Mariana Aline. I am from uh, the University of Illinois in, in Urbana-Champaign. Uh, I'm an assistant professor there in the Department of Entomology, so that uh, we study insects. Thanks a lot for joining us, Professor Mariana. I would like to go back when you were your child. Do you have any memories about being interested in science as a kid? Um, I grew up in a very small town in the Netherlands, and um, I guess nature was always around us. Um, I had a grandfather who grew uh, uh, vegetables, and I was always uh, interested in that. Uh, you know, I wanted to be a veterinarian, that kind of stuff. Uh, but I didn't uh, really think about that I could make this a profession, but that, that's also because I I just didn't think, um, really think as a kid about going to college. I'm, I'm definitely first generation. So, um, yeah, uh, I thought I would be a vet maybe. I also thought I'd be a hairdresser at some point. <laughs> um, uh, and then when I started thinking about college, I, I thought I'd, I'd go to medical school. So, um, and then around that time, I, I, I uh, had the opportunity to, to go to the U.S. for studying as, a, for, as undergrad, and I went, and then I, I guess I never went back. I fairly quickly, when I got um, to the University of California at Berkeley, I realized that I did not want to do um, pre, uh, med- medical school, and I wanted to study um, uh, biology. Yeah, that's a very interesting journey. So may I ask you, uh, what's the real passion behind uh, joining, uh, be- being an entomologist? Is this like something you're passionate about or how you came across uh, being? Yeah, I am definitely in the minority, I think, with my colleagues who are entomologists. A lot of them have been fascinated by insects all their lives. And they also really do love, they come from a, from, a, from the, the biodiversity aspect, the, the great variety of insects that there is. Um, I, I never really liked insects that much in the, you know, when I was growing up and um, definitely was more a mammals person. But over the years, I just, I just have come to love insects and, and, and how great they are to study. Uh, and you can still ans- ask questions that are also relevant to mammals and to, and to humans. So, um, uh, yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, maybe yeah. someone could ask you what kind of questions or maybe answers you're looking for while working in entomology? What kind of the, the basic questions you're looking for? Yeah. Um, so insects are incredibly diverse. They are, they are everywhere and they are adapted to many different uh, environments. And so not, you know, not every single species of insect can live everywhere, but overall, all insects are pretty much everywhere, except maybe the open ocean. But um, even though I think they found some more there, too. So, uh, uh, so my question is, how, what is it about them 
that makes them adapt and 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 we're not and insects are small and we're now at this in this place in our technology where we can really image or uh, somehow quantify at the scale where insects are doing the most interesting things. I think uh, having this passion of bio-inspired design 30, 40 years ago and then focusing on insects would have been a lot harder because we, don't, we didn't have the microscopy, we didn't have the computing power, we didn't have um, uh, the fabrication tools to actually study it and, and, and implement it. So that's what I'm trying to do uh, with insects. Yeah, so actually, um, I, I told you that we in soft robotics, we I think uh, we try to do uh, design for robotics inspired by the nature. And I, I saw one of the episodes, as I told you, in It's Okay to Be Smart. It was about the fastest animal or maybe fastest insect in that case. Uh, mm-hmm. And we now look to how it's much faster uh, than maybe the cheetah. And that's what's fascinating, how, how in nature we can find small creatures that they can have this functionality. So maybe I can, I'm curious to ask you, first of all, how do you see the evolution of insects uh, like from 150 million years ago? I just saw that, for example, I just read that and, and there was a line of giant in, insects ended up with being evolution of birds. And we can't see this kind of transformation of animal from being mobile, like, for example, amphibians to mammals. So... This is something you think interesting how this um, small creature can develop such functionality in terms of like maybe uh, being protective against uh, predators or how do you see this evolution? Yeah, I think the main, uh, and and maybe I'm biased because it's exactly what I study, is I think one of the uh, things that sets insects apart is that it has an exoskeleton. And... um, which uh, makes it uh, able to adapt to environments that we cannot. It's also in some way limiting, but um, you know, for instance, for growth, you can o- you can also grow so much and so quickly, and and, and maybe also, uh, and then there's some other limitations on their um, uh, physiological systems, like how they breathe and and circulate blood, um, but. Uh, which, but the cuticle itself, the exoskeleton is made out of cuticle, um, is a fascinating um, uh, adaptation. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's also in uh, crustaceans, of course, and, um, uh, but it's definitely different from our skeleton and, and skin, uh, which is also fast, amazing. But in, uh, if we wanted to create robots, I think maybe going with a simpler uh, ex- um, thing to mimic, uh, be inspired by, I think insects are a better bet. So, yeah. yeah, that's great. So maybe I ask you what kind of maybe inspiration you're looking for when you look to the insects? What may be the basic questions you comes to your mind or maybe the basic abstraction to be inspired by this creature? Um, so we, um, my lab focuses on two main issues that I actually have come together for. The one of them is um, um, uh, this, this thing called the, the click beetle mechanism. Uh, so click beetles are uh, beetles that when they are on their backs are able to jump and write uh, themselves without using their legs. Um, so there's a mechanism um, between two body parts 
uh, it is a, a peg that fits into a cavity that that um, and then and then the muscles uh, contract and it, it uh, due to friction and other reasons it just stays put in it and then all of a sudden it lets go so it's a power amplified system and it's able to jump. Um, I want to say though that I think the reason why that mechanism evolved is not because it had to jump. It, I think it is a great mechanism to try, try to get out of tight places, uh, which these beetles have to do. So, um, uh, uh, but that doesn't matter because we are interested in jumping part. We can see that they can jump. We know that right here on Earth, there are, the, there are these creatures that can jump without legs, and we want to make robots like that. So, um, so that's one of them, and it turns out that uh, the cuticle uh, is really important for that. Uh, it, it has to be both really, really tough and rigid in some parts, um, but we also have noticed other parts, the cuticle has to be very um, uh, uh, elastic or, or soft, actually, and, and have some elasticity to it. So that's one of them, and, it, and I focus mostly on the muscle part and on the, 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 um, the cuticle part. Um, and that is a collaboration with the uh, lab of Amy Wissa um, in mechanical and mechanical uh, science and engineering. Um, the other big project is uh, uh, looking at insect wings mostly, but also other parts of the body and figure out what makes uh, the surface multifunctional. And uh, the functionalities that we usually look at is um, superhydrophobicity, um, antimicrobial or antifouling, um, uh, reflectivity, and, and so on. And for that, we studied dragonflies and um, flies, and now also leafhoppers, which are tiny little uh, uh, insects, uh, but mostly cicadas, which has a, is probably the biggest part of my lab. I'm curious to ask you maybe what is the most interesting insect you have been working on or something maybe in entomology, something maybe like a puzzle for... <laughs> well, my, my first love in entomology has actually, was actually, why I became an entomologist was because I uh, studied parasites, so insects that are parasitic on other insects. And I find that absolutely fascinating because these parasites can totally manipulate the host. But... You know, over my career, this has completely changed. Uh, my, my focus on my lab has completely changed. And now definitely the bread and butter is the bio-inspired design part. Um, and it I, actually is kind of um, funny to me that the one thing that we probably do not want to mimic is actually parasitism, which is a very, very, um, uh, uh, a very popular lifestyle. Or every insect has at least one or two uh, parasites that are um, adapted to it and uh, and so on and then those parasites have parasites anyway that's not something we want to mimic so uh, but that's my first love uh, just these tiny little wasps or flies that are able to to live inside of another body but that's more aliens like the movie aliens than anything so since you're expert in this subject I'm curious to ask you this question we have this question in the podcast about how we can uh, maybe uh, make bioinspiration or either like biomimicry or bioinspiration because sometimes people think that we can be inspired by the behavior we don't have to replicate the same exact structure but still the question is 
what are the missing pieces between what we saw in the nature and what we try to apply as engineer? Uh, what do you think may be missing? Is it understanding how these insects behave or the material, how they design or how they adapt to the environment? How do you see the missing pieces here? I, I, uh, one of my, uh, I, don't know, I wouldn't call it a pet peeve, but um, I think one of the most important issues is that we cannot afford, uh, we cannot be uh, 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 too, um, oh, what do you call it? Um, um, yeah. One, I think, let me start over. I think the most important thing is that we have to make sure that we really truly understand the fundamental biology behind something that we think we want to uh, mimic or uh, be inspired by. Uh, be, we have to ab be absolutely sure that we are extracting the true physical principles, chemical principles that are behind this biology that we're studying. Something that has really uh, bugged me, no unintended, is that oftentimes uh, uh, the, um, the, the inspiration is very superficial and um, that does nobody any good because in the end, your product is not going to uh, do the thing that you want it to do because you wanted it to be almost exactly like what you saw in nature. And for as from the biology's point of view, um, it, if it's based on incorrect science, um, then that's a real loss. Um, we then don't, I guess, don't really understand what the biology is doing, and um, and, and that's too bad. So um, fundamental bio biological research is important, and you cannot uh, be too superficial about it. I would like to thank you for this point. I think uh, this point is very interesting, and I would like also to ask in this in this context about uh, because maybe the student here asking about. If you asking about that, maybe there is maybe something here bad that we um, replicate superficially the structures. In software robotics, we have the material side and we have the structure side, like rigid parts. And I think the same in insects. If you have like both of them stiff and elastic part, so do you think that um, if we apply software robotics, do you think we have to focus in in understanding material that could similar what happened in biology, or we have to look to structures, or both of them? Um, if you if you uh, truly are able to tease apart the physical the physics principles behind something, um, then um, and then you will be guided by that and figure out, well, can I make it out of a material that is maybe very different than the cuticle, maybe in a metal, uh, but uh, maybe the nanostructures on the surface was what, what was important. And if I can just mimic that, um, that should be enough. That Yeah. So, but as long as you understand the biology, then you can extract, okay, what are the, what is the functionality that I want? And uh, what can I get away with? Because I, I, we don't, we don't necessarily have to mimic it exactly like, like uh, the student said. It doesn't have to just be material or, uh, or and the structure. Maybe you can sometimes uh, just focus on one. Um, yeah, and and you can play with it. Like and and then also always remember that 
uh, nature is not necessarily the best uh, inspiration point. Um, we, can, we can learn from it, but then nature is limited. Um, so for instance, right now we have, um, we've studied the cicada wings. Uh, we know pretty well how structure is important in conveying uh, superhydrophobicity. We also understand how chemistry of, on that surface interacts with the structures. Um, now we can actually replicate the cicada wing. And now we're going to go back and replicate the structures and add chemistry to it. And we don't necessarily have to use the same chemistry as nature because nature actually can't easily make you know, all the, chem the chemicals that we can would be able to, to apply to it. So um, anyway, so that's, yeah. Uh, but so, so, so bioinspiration is actually a lot harder than what you usually read in the, in the popular media, right? So. Um, but, yeah, but I would like to ask you why you say nature is limited, because I think in our, maybe you are more expert again, and what could be more inspiring than nature, if you have understood right? Oh, um, I, I mean that in, in one, if you're just looking at one uh, species, it's kind of limited. But you could then step back and say, well, um, uh, is there somewhere else in nature where this other problem that I'm now dealing with is also solved, and you can now add that to it. I'm, I'm trying to think of an example of that. So, um, uh, so you, we can, as engineers can combine inspiration from different uh, areas of, of nature. Uh, but if you're just looking at one species, um, there's a lot of constraints in that species. It, it, it has, um, it's limited by uh, what its ancestors were, were in what kind of environment it is um, developing and, and, and living um, and so on. So if you wanted to create a material that is both um, super hydrophobic, um, well, I mean, it's, it's first of all, super hydrophobicity, there's so many examples in nature. So you, 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 know, you can't just go with the first one that you come across. So uh, it has to exactly fit your uh, application. Great. So maybe quick, that answer yeah. your question. Or? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's really hard to question. It's not even in our community. We, I think the point you said that maybe we need to study more biology and maybe you have superficial understanding. And Anya, I think you are right. We need a deep understanding of physics. And and I can't agree more with this point. I think you are absolutely right. Yeah. 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 So maybe a silly question. I don't know. Maybe this sounds silly, but what could be maybe the interesting functionality that um, you have witnessed in any of kind of species of the insect that uh, you think human, uh, if human can have it, it would be very interesting. One functionality, what that could be. Oh, um, I'm not so, I'm not necessarily always focused on the, the functionality. So, so I, when I work with engineers and material scientists, we, I can definitely see we have different driving things that drive us. Um, I want to know why something is my overall, my engineering collaborators want to know how it came about, you know, how, how, you know, how, how is something super hydrophobic? I want to know why it's super hydrophobic. And, um, so, um, my, my interest is, is mostly, um, I think more driven towards how come in, uh, insects or nature in general 
has far more multifunctional functionality uh, that we usually don't incorporate into our uh, engineered materials. So for me, it's more multifunctionality. Um, wettability, eh, um, I mean, it's, it's interesting and it, it, it's definitely a focus of my lab. Um, but my, my driving force is more like, why do you see certain solutions to this, to this issue of you want to stay dry, yet you also want to be able to self-clean, you want to not give yourself away by being uh, not reflective or something like that, or having a different color. That is way more interesting to me, like this multifunctionality. I think I'm also curious to ask you about the intelligence in this insect, because I think when we are kids, we have this kind of question, how a fly can sense that someone is trying to hit uh, this fly? And there's a, a reflex, and that's something, is it has a brain, or what does reflex in, in insects mean? Yes, and yes. I think that's the first part before going to uh, how the morphology of them work. But can you answer the question, how the, some insect doesn't have a brain and still exhibit this kind of intelligence, like flex? Right. Uh, I don't think uh, biologists would, would, um, would, would use the word intelligence there. But uh, insects do have brains. Insects have, uh, you know, and especially something like uh, a honeybee has been really well studied um, because they actually also have been shown to learn and to be able to communicate with their nest mates. So um, there's definitely that. Um, so they have a brain. Um, if you remember, maybe from basic biology class, insects are divided into different sections, head, thorax, abdomen, and then each of those also is segmented. So insects are segmented. And within each segment, pretty much, they even have like um, what's called a ganglion. Uh, really oversimplified, it's like, a, like another little brain. So rather than... Um, so maybe something, when you are trying to uh, smash a fly, uh, it can either see it or feel um, the airwaves coming. Um, it is being sensed by all these hairs it has all over its body. That's the beauty of an exoskeleton. Actually, the sensors, which I can go into a little bit later, are also really fascinating um, if you have an exoskeleton. But anyway, it, it actually can already sense that. And it doesn't even have to send that signal all the way to the brain. Um, it can just do that maybe within that segment and then send uh, the, 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 the signal to nervous signal to, um, through motor neurons to the, to the muscles and it will then jump or fly away. It's, it's yeah, so it's more of a, yeah, it, it, uh, it's sort of a very simple step wise thing it just notices that something is wrong and it will go um, but it, i don't think it's an intelligence thing um what what is really fascinating though if you for especially for roboticists is that um uh what, what like things like ants that um are individually pretty pretty simplistic there if you watch an ant you're like what are you doing like where are you going what um, it doesn't seem any purpose, but if you have like a whole nest of ants, somehow they're able to make these beautiful nests. They're able to find food and tell each other where this food is uh, and so on and so on. So this is and this emergent behavior 
uh, comes about, they, they give each other a little bit of feedback all the time, but there's no blueprint to how you build a nest. There is no leader. Uh, we know that social, you may know that social insects have queens or kings and things like that, but they're just, um, that's a misnomer. They're pretty much just there to uh, take care of their young. Uh, they don't really have any leadership, like what we think of leadership. So yeah, uh, that's the beauty. It's another be a beautiful place, a wonderful place for us to look at for bioinspiration is how do you get robots then to talk to each other um, similar to ants. And there's a lot of people working on that and doing really fascinating work. And is there any kind of, uh, maybe insect doesn't have a brain, don't have a brain just to, and they still behave in maybe based on feedback and they don't have a brain? Mm, no, it's just, you know, some have, have a really uh, simple, like they don't, if you're not in a, so, if you're not a social insect, then you, there's a, it's a lot simpler. But, you know, something like, while um, I was talking about this um, uh, emergent behavior, uh, the simplest one, it's not an insect, but are those slime molds. I, I don't know if you've covered that yet during the podcast. The slime molds that are, are able to find uh, the quickest way to a food source, um, even though they're just single cellular um, things. They're not animals, but uh, yeah. So. Yeah. And about the morphology, because I think that's also something uh, interesting how the shape of the insect, how the morphology and structure itself. Because I think there the was an interesting experiment about uh, a dead fish. Uh, I, I don't know if you uh, saw it before, but it was by a researcher at MIT. And this mm -hmm. fish is still uh, swim uh, in the, uh, um, against the vortex, vortices of the water. And that was interesting, how the morphology still adapt the environment and swim. If you can tell us yeah. about how this is the morphology of insects can maybe help them just to, to adapt in a different environment? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, so, so, so here though, you, you again, um, uh, so again, insect basically three parts, a head, thorax, and abdomen. Um, and that's kind of the, the plan. Um, and uh, that is really beneficial for insects and, and it's uh, because your thorax is going to be sort of your locomotory center. This is where the wings are, this is where the legs are. Um, the brain is where the food, or, uh, no, the head is where the brain is and where the food comes in. And then the abdomen is where you store a lot of your fat and it's where the, where, um, you where the insect um, has the, the, the things for mating to so to to for, for reproduction. So that's three parts. That's uh, that works for the insects, and and partly that is also why insects are so successful. So a lot of insects um, are uh, first caterpillars, uh, which which are basically really good feeding machines, and then they go through this metamorphosis. And then you have this adult, which is a really good at dispersing and at, and at reproduction, which is, of course, in the end, the most important thing for an animal. So, um, uh, so this works really well for insects. If I were, if I were um, a, a roboticist, I would not necessarily um, exactly copy that. Like, why, why does my robot need an abdomen? 
right? It, it really does need a brain part and it does need the locomotory part probably, but it doesn't need the abdomen. So, and and that, I also find that really interesting is when I have uh, in my bio-inspired design course, when I show um, these multidisciplinary groups of students insects and just let them chat, um, the engineers are just like, how come this ants can even exist? It's just dragging this giant abdomen everywhere. That is like, I would never design it such a way. And a, and, a, and a entomologist will go like, but of course it has to be that way because otherwise it would not be able to reproduce or, uh, you know, all this other stuff that insects do. So that's, um, so I think their uh, uh, morphology is important, but it depends also on what you're looking at. And, uh, but yeah, um, uh, so I, yeah, and there's like the fish, uh, there's many examples of that uh, uh, whole body um, uh, structure. It's really important, but more and more we also see like these tiny little structures uh, uh, are important too in, 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 in the, um, determining if something will be able to jump or not, uh, for instance. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, I'm, I'm just really, I think that's something really mind-blowing how these creatures are small in the site and still they can store the energy. Um, yeah. How this happened? Yeah. Uh, because I think that's something in soft robotics, we have this question how we can design like actuation in, uh, and having storing in energy density with a higher value. So how does this happen mm -hmm. in a small creature? If we look to the chameleon in the same in the tongue or maybe the insect, the like flipper and then just jump and then high speed. How does this happen? Yeah, it's a many different, many different ways. So it's definitely uh, uh, more and more we look at it, there's a power amplified system. So uh, in invertebrates, that's probably best described in the mantis shrimp, which is not an insect, um, but they can actually, um, they have a, they have this um, um, uh, appendage that can actually open uh, shellfish, right? And they, they just, uh, they, hammer the shellfish really hard, even creating cavitation bubbles and so on. And, can... and then you also have um, uh, trap jaw ants, which is something we study. They have these giant jaw uh, mandibles, so uh, these things that they use to grab um, uh, with, uh, to grab uh, food, prey, um, but they can also um, deploy these mandibles against um, a surface and they can actually jump that way. And that's also a power amplified system, it turns out. And then in the click beetles, which is what we study, uh, we're also noticing that it is a power amplified system where the peg goes into this cavity, the, the muscles slowly load the mechanism, relatively slowly, but uh, compared to the actual release, it's, it's much slower. And then when they uh, when they release uh, so much power is re released that it actually is able to jump. Um, so uh, we're we're trying to figure out um, in all these all these um, um, uh, systems and there, there's a couple of more and and usually the actually the labs that work on this uh, we discuss these things a lot we we collaborate with each other trying to figure out what is the latch which seems really important and what is the thing that triggers the release of the latch 
and for in animals that latch is usually um, somewhere internal and not really that obvious you know like we always when we give talks we show what we mean by latch and trigger especially for in, in non-engineering audiences you know the bow and arrow example um, but there the latch is your hand but where is that in an animal so we, we're trying to figure that out and for the flick beetle we're getting pretty close And also, I'm curious to ask you this question about the growing. If you lose a limb, for example, there's some creature exhibit this kind of growing uh, little limbs. And that's also something interesting in soft robotic, how we can have a robot after damage can grow and maybe can repair itself. So how is this happening um, in a fascinating way in, in, in the creature, like insects or maybe right, so, uh, reptiles? Right, so, so this is actually uh, this is actually one of the places where insects are probably not a good example uh, because they do not regenerate limbs unless unless they lose like a limb when they're still uh, a caterpillar or immature. Then when they go through uh, a molt, they will they will grow it back. Uh, but the adults, the big, the the ones that usually have wings and, and legs, uh, you know, proper legs, they don't. Uh, uh, and and that and that is, um, you know, that's you could, if you're doing truly bio-inspired design and trying to figure out where should I look in nature for this, um, you shouldn't go to insects because insects are just too short-lived, right? They're usually only a couple of months. They're they're not that many that live for years and years especially in this one form that you're interested in. So for, for an insect, it's, they are not going to spend the energy to grow a new limb. Um, so, um, but but uh, they have other ways they can either prevent, uh, they might prevent losing the limb. For instance, um, uh, the, the, the way a crack propagates through the cuticle is different from uh, our, the engineered materials that we usually make because that would hopefully prevent uh, the, the, the leg from breaking. So, um, so they, I think they, they have really ingenious mechanisms of preventing uh, loss of, of, um, of limbs. Um, and then also they have built in, um, you know, they have six legs they can actually still get around fairly well on five or four legs. So, <laughs> um, so that, so that you know, for a robot, if you have a robot that's uh, bipedal, uh, if once your leg goes, uh, that the, the other one might not be able to compensate. Whereas if you have a six-legged robot, uh, you might be able to compensate. That's very inspiring, yeah. And if I ask you uh, what may be the area or direction of research, you think maybe it's very promising in entomology, and but maybe the community, uh, maybe you can take it from soft robotics and entomology as intersection, <coughs> disagree or doesn't give much attention to it. Um, wow, there's so many, there's so many things that you can go to, and uh, you know I've been in, in this field now 10, 15 years, and. Uh, I'm just still amazed at how many people are now finding it, right? Like, so that's already exciting that um, more and more people are appreciating that a bio-inspired design is a is a worthwhile tool to have in your toolbox. Um, I, and um, and and if it then creates this interest in insects, that's that's you know great. Um, I I don't I just I do want to say I don't think always insects are the best. Um, points of inspiration. I think plants are really overlooked. I think plants have uh, also some great um, 
it can be sources of inspiration, for instance. Um, anyway, um, uh, again, going to my probably my first point that I made that right now we are able to, to we have all these tools to actually help us um, understand what is happening at the scale at which insects do the most in interesting things. And at the same time, it's kind of the area that we're most interested in, but that we want to make smaller and smaller robots. And so, you know, here are these things with exoskeletons that are right in front of our eyes and they're right, and they're really, um, um, there, there are so many of them. And at the same time, uh, we have the computed power to, to see how, how, how that, what that means, so like at the whole ecosystem level. Um, but, you know, for my thing is like having all these new technologies to actually look at almost the molecular level of how um, how materials come about, and then how does that how does that formation of a material happen? And again, I think we can study this much easily, more easily in in insects than in say a mammalian system. Uh, like how how is actually an, an um, a wing formed? Um, as it's going through metamorphosis. Uh, we can study that fairly easily in insects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We are closing the end with a few questions. I want to ask you this question anyway, because I think in our field, we have a trade-off, for example, between the mechanical forces produced by the material at the equator and the response time. And we have the question, can we have high mechanical performance like the forces and also high response time there's a still a trade-off. And the question is, is we have to look for the modeling or maybe designing new material. We don't know. And when I'm thinking about what he said, I think it's very inspiring when you're looking at insects, they have the high forces and high response time at the same time. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you mentioned that maybe we have a superficial understanding. Do you think where does this problem come from? As now maybe still listening to you, where does this problem come from? And I have to be honest, sometimes I... Uh, if we need to be, be like delve deeply and understanding, it takes time. But in academic, because we speak about in academia, sometimes we have pressurized it to publish a, a robot moving a certain way and fancy way. But we forgot maybe what's the fundamental, what limitation, how we can, how, how they can behave in a, for a certain amount of time, their durability and etc. Oh, I definitely, I definitely think it's a problem. Um, I. Um... I mean, all these points that you're making are, uh, we need to figure it out, yes. Um, but there's so, the problem is the limitations that we put on ourselves and, and I, I think maybe our um, institutions put on us is this, um, uh, how do you properly collaborate? How do you figure out what you don't know? And then how do you answer those questions if that's not really in your field? Um, uh, the incentives are not really there to become truly multidisciplinary uh, uh, teams. Um, we can either all individually become um, knowledgeable about all the topics, or we can come up with better mechanisms to actually collaborate. Um, and, and the problem is also that oftentimes, even, even in bioinspired design projects, which are multidisciplinary, and even if they work, which in my, in, in, in my collaborations, I, I'm pretty proud of the collaborations I've built, you started with, I'm going to find the solution in insects. 
um, because I'm an entomologist. But that, you know, that's really not how violence bio design should be. Um, we should be open to everything, right? But um, uh, I need to publish my papers. I need to. Uh, uh, so I, I think that's another thing where we can really, we really need to work on um, this de-siloing biology and de-siloing de all of the sciences, how to better exchange ideas and collaborate together. And, um, and that's actually a, a, one of the, the projects in my lab too is, uh, uh, and we work with people in uh, the social sciences on this, is how to best build teams that can communicate at these at these disciplinary boundaries um, and that can be between material scientists and mechanical engineers between mechanical engineers and entomologists entomologists and microbiologists you know we all need help uh, yeah indeed uh, indeed yeah. so if i ask you about uh, how we can how can we enable more inclusive culture around competitive ideas that's an issue about how to be intellectually inclusive if you wanted to uh, invest in a certain technique and you want to get a funding for your maybe your aspiration about something you fascinate about in your research how do you see the uh, intellectual inclusiveness in academia uh, if we speak about it oh <laughs> uh, i don't really know yet how it should be done because i think it really requires almost a whole new overhaul I know funding agencies in in the US at least, and I think also in Europe are, and probably Asia too, are are are, say, are talking the talk, saying that we need to be more interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary. And uh, I've been involved in many workshops on this. Um, at the same time, my university says the same thing. They really want us to be more um, multidisciplinary. However, the incentives, though, are not there. I still have to publish. I probably should publish in some biology journals. Does it actually, you know, that, that but does it count if I also go into engineering journals? Does it, you know, why is that actually the thing I'm getting sort of graded on is the publication? Um, I don't know. I don't know what to, I think it, it will require a whole overhaul of uh, academia and how and then how how do we um uh, work with the agencies federal agencies um and with uh, companies so. yeah yeah it's really a really hard problem yeah so yeah. do you think ego is important for the researcher ego yeah um it goes uh, two ways i um in in my in these groups that we 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 meet fairly often and uh i will stand up i will you know put my foot down when i say it need we need to understand the biology we truly have to understand the biology you engineers are now are already happy with what you're seeing now and you want to go build something that's great but we still need to also answer this and this question this biology question and and I will you know I fight for that and uh, the same the same goes for my engineering collaborators and and so yes ego there is important. On the other hand, we also have this understanding that if you don't understand something, you know maybe it's um, uh, uh, wording uh, because you know the famous example stress in biology is a 
different, has a different meaning than stress in engineering, right? So we need to make sure that we're talking about the same thing. And at the same time, also um, uh, uh, realizing the incentives, that, that the incentives are different for biologists versus engineers. And we do talk about that a lot too, which makes you a little, maybe a little bit more vulnerable, like saying, you know, this is, you know, right now I really need um, to understand this. And I'm sorry if you, for the third time, have to explain this to me, but, uh, um, but in, in these spaces that we've created, that is okay. So, um, so it goes, it's both. Yeah, I really like this answer. Yeah. Um, so which book inspired you? Oh gosh, uh, um, I really like uh, uh, the writing uh, by the late Stephen Fogel, uh, V-O-G-E-L. -E um, uh, he was a, I guess he was mostly a, an engineer, but he just had this appreciation for plants and animal movement and so on. I, I really like his, his work. Interesting, yeah. And if you can tell us maybe one quality you have gained while being working, uh, maybe entomology as a, a kid mission, what is this quality you have gained? Um, I, uh, over the years, um, even though I've been now an entomologist for 25 years, I've, I, I only am gaining more um, respect for insects. Um, I've now also become uh, more of a leader in my professional society. Um, so I represent people that work on uh, protecting our food, uh, food security from in insects, making sure that we have enough food, uh, public health um, insects. So really things that I have don't study at all, uh, but I, uh, insects are tremendously important for us. And um, I, I appreciate that I can lead, uh, you know, help a little bit in understanding how they work and, and, and that there's an application for it. I appreciate this answer. Yeah. And what was the best advice was given to you, whether personally or professionally, and was life changing? Uh, always be nice to your administrative assistants. Yeah, I, I think it is just be nice. nice to okay. Yeah, okay. I, uh, it's, not, it's not worth it to alienate. Yeah, yeah. And alienate anybody. But on the other hand, don't let anybody walk over you. So, um, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. be, just be kind. I think yeah, that's really we need it on our wallet to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and do you have any final words for robotics community you would like to say? Any final words? Uh, just um, um, enjoy what you're doing. If it's if you enjoy your work, it's not really work. Um, and do uh, enjoy what you're doing, and and hopefully, if you're doing bioinspired design, don't forget to really understand the biology, because it's not going to be of anybody's benefit if it is a design that, uh, that is not, if you're claiming that it is violence by design, if it's based on uh, faulty uh, basic uh, data. So, um, however, at the same time, I'm also, you can maybe improve on uh, what we're seeing in nature because you're less constrained than nature is. Yeah, I think it's really wise words and yeah, thanks a lot. I really enjoyed this, really, truly inspiring and yeah, fascinating. Yeah. And I wish same, we can speak more me. about that. Yeah, thanks Thank a lot. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you.